forgetting those things which are behind us. And reaching forward to those things which are ahead. Now, we like to summarize that say, you got to move on. you got to move on. you got to keep on moving, right? And you know, there's a place for that. In fact, there's a wonderful song out there. you got to keep on moving. Don't stop saying it. And we, we do that. you got to keep on moving. you got to move on. you got to move on. you got to move on. But that's Sometimes, before I was a Christian, I could remember re-arguing fights and debates that I had months and weeks later than I had because I could not do this
said, I'd rather do what the government says than get We let the government tell us we want to allow And I want you to know what the Paul says, though. I'm not, this is not a sermon on never comply. No, that's not what this is. But it's a sermon on this. Not just non Christians, Christians are going to think. They want to call The song is being reviewed as song is this. For For yeah, see, it was the Jews that put their hands upon Paul. It was the Jews that delivered him up to the Gentiles. It was the Jews that said, This man should die. And Paul said, This is one thing. This one thing. When I do it, I can forget about what was behind me. It's no longer there. Yeah, somebody wants to preach to me and say, Pastor, I can forgive, but I'll never forget. Let me tell you, when we look at forgiveness biblically, God says, I'll put your sin as far as east is from the west. He says, I'll put your sin down at the bottom of the ocean. He says, I'll make your sins as though it never got that family history and you can't forgive what happened in your family or you think you can't help it. Let's look at some biblical examples of people who put the past behind them. And I'm going to read some of these to you and I'll be honest with you, I'm going to run out of time. I'm not going to be able to go over all the scriptures with you, but I want to encourage you to get them up here. Number 16, verses 1 to 3, the Bible says, Now Korah, the son of Ishtar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, with Dathan and Abiram, the son of Eliab, and on the son of Pelah, Sons of Reuben, fifteen men. Let's take a look at the next one here. And they rose up before Moses with some of the children of Israel, two hundred and fifty leaders of the congregation, representatives of the congregation, men of renown. They gathered together against Moses and Aaron and said to them, You take too much upon yourselves, for all the congregation is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? Now, just to chase the rabbit for a second. Hello? Rabbit trails. I love red hair. But I want to talk to you a little bit about the Jewish background of this particular passage. I almost did that with you tonight. Since if you are a Jewish reader, I'll talk about Korah this week. We're learning about Korah. Talk about Korah. And Korah stands up and he brings 250 people with him. Those aren't just, hey, yeah, that's a total with it. This is something happening, something really. This was like an illness that was underneath the skin. It was like Temple getting ready to pass. Here was two hundred and fifty people, and he stands up and he says, "Amazing explanation." Just to put it in a nutshell, he says, "You take too much on you. You think you're the only holy one. We're holy. God is. We translate it with us, but God is here among us. What he's saying is, God is here. We are holy." However, the Jewish people, his meaning, that he destroyed 
resurrect the Holy Spirit. Swallow them up if you read your group. Swallow them with the covenant of God. So they are clean and they're holy. One of the Alright, verse 2. And he rose up for Moses from the children of Israel, 250 leaders of the congregation, representatives of the congregation, men of renown. They gathered together against Moses and Aaron and said to them, You take too much upon yourselves. For all the congregation is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? Let's take a look at the next one. Number 16, 31 33. Now it came to pass as he finished speaking all these words that the ground stood apart under them, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them. With their household, and all the men were caught with all the goods. For they and all those that were with them were down alive, or were alive into the pit. The earth closed over them, and they perished from among the assembly. Next slide, please. Verse 16, that looks like this. So, let me put a disclaimer out there that wasn't taken the day that happened. I love seeing it. Next slide, please. The story of the sound of Korah, the son of Korah, the Old Testament story of the two fathers, the two destinies. The story begins with the Israelites and Moses and time to journey through the wilderness just after leaving Egypt. Now remember, they had to let something go, had to let go of the past. That's the beginning of the past. You can't see the let go. Next slide, please. Number chapter 3, God set aside the Levites out of the tribe of Israel. A full-time service for them. They were ordained to take care of the tabernacle and all its implements, as well as the Ark of the Covenant. Only the descendants of Aaron, though, however, were allowed to serve as priests. Now, Levites are called priests, but they're more ministers, movers, carriers, and later on, some of them become singers. And we'll find out a little more about that. Three sons of Levi, and I gave you a chart here, were Gershon, Merari, and Kohath, right? If you take a look up there in the first box, Levi, uh, he has his three children. Gershon will be on my left at this time, your left. Kohath in the middle, Mawali on the right. And you can take a look at those later on. And if you love to have a PowerPoint, I'll give you the PowerPoint. Give you the PowerPoint and give you the PowerPoint. Because that is just crazy. So why do you do it in three? Because I'm funny. Next slide. <laughs> the Gershonites were responsible for the care of the tabernacle and tent. It's covering the curtain at the entrance to the tent of meaning the curtains of the courtyard, the curtain at the entrance to the courtyard surrounding the tabernacle, the altar, and the rope, and everything related to this. Here's a picture of the Gershonites. Get an idea of what they do. Covering things up with the tabernacle walls, with the coverings, and some of those coverings were very elaborate. Merites were appointed to take care of the frames of the tabernacle, its crossbars, its posts, its bases, all its equipment, and everything related to their use, as well as the posts of the surrounding courtyard with their bases, pit pegs, and the rope. And you'll see that that's the Coming. There it is, yes. Then there are. Removing those posts, removing those crossbars, and beams. Once again, uh, not up to Cortites were responsible for the care of the sanctuary. They were responsible for the care of the ark, the table, the lampstand, the altars, the articles of the sanctuary used in ministry, the curtains, and everything related to their use. They were under the direct supervision of 
Eliezer, son of Aaron. Wet is the root. Next slide. Let's picture the four types. Right. Of course, that's Aaron in the middle. And you see they were the ones who moved the ark. They were the ones who moved the, the uh, altar, the raisin of water there, flavored. Unlike the Gersonites and the Merites, who were allowed to transport the items under their care on carts, the Kohathites had to carry the items, the holy things, of the tabernacle on the carts. They had the arduous burden of transporting these items from place to place as the camp moved, but they were not allowed actually to touch the items or they would die. Did anybody actually touch them? It was Uzziah, a son of Aaron. No. That's fine there. The priests had to wrap the sacred object in special coverings before they were transported. You can read about that in Numbers 415. Many of the Kohathites began to disdain the task and covet the role of the priests. Can you imagine as they were under the direct vision of Aaron? Say, do this, do that, cover it up. Let me check it before you move it. Do you know how old that would get? Do you know how old that would get? Especially if you moved it 1,700,000 times. That is a definite exaggeration of numbers. Next slide. Numbers 415. I want to put it in there for you. When Aaron and his sons had finished covering the sanctuary, all the furnishings of the sanctuary, when the camp is set to go, the sons of Kohath shall come and carry them, but they shall not touch any holy thing that they die. These are the things in the tabernacle of meaning that the sons of Kohath are under direct supervision. That's good enough. That's not good. You can imagine if you have one of those uh, sons of Aaron to be like, that ain't tight to be enough for that. You ever had a guy like that? Uh-huh. If you ever served in the army and you were turning your M16 back in, the armor would always say it's not clean enough. And you're thinking, it can't get any cleaner. I'll actually rub it away. Alright, next slide. Korah was the grandson of Korah, and he began to run with another group of Rubenites and Alphonsus, namely Dathan and Abiram, sons of Zariah, and on, sons of Kelah, and tribes to arouse the group of 250 men. Together, to challenge the right of Moses and Aaron to the priesthood. We read about that in Numbers 16, and we're going to do that later on. Next slide, please. Moses summoned the rebellious men to stand before God and burn incense, as we read earlier. They had to challenge, hey, we're holy. We're holy just like you. God is in us. So, stand before God and burn incense. God warned Moses to let the assembly know to get away from Korah, Jason, and Abiram. Incidentally, if God says you do that, you better get moved. Somebody say, Amen. Get away from them, their households, and the other rebels. It's going to be a remarkable and terrifying event Moses said, this is how you will know that the Lord has sent me to do all these things and that it was not my idea. I'm paraphrasing again. If these men die and a natural death and suffer the fate of all mankind, then the Lord has not sent me. But the Lord brings about something totally new and the earth opens its mouth and swallows them with everything that belongs to them and they go down alive into the realm of the dead, then you will know that these men have treated the Lord with respect. So you get an idea of what happens in the next one. As soon as he finished saying all this, the ground under them split apart, or opened his mouth, swallowed them, and the households and all those who 
filled with resurrections, they went down alive into the realm of the dead, and they their own earth clothes over them, and they perished and were gone away from the At their cry, all that was like around them fled, shouting, the earth was going to follow us, and fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men who were offering the Moses said, By this you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these things, for I have not done them of my only will. These men die naturally like all men, or if they are visited by the common fate of all men, then the Lord has not sent me. But the Lord creates a new thing, and the earth opens its mouth and swallows them up with all that belongs to them, and they go down alive into the pit, and you will understand that these men have rejected the Lord. Now it came to pass when you finished speaking all these words, that the ground split apart under them, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up. With their household, and all the men with Korah and all their goods. So they and all those them with them went down alive into the pit. The earth closed over them, and they perished from among the assembly. Verse 34 Then all Israel who were around them fled at their cry, for they said, Let the earth swallow us up also. The fire came out from the Lord, consumed the 250 men who were offering them. Although the story marked the end of Korah, we discovered that for sons, perhaps too young to understand their father's uprising and maybe too cognizant of God's authority, to join in a revolt, was fair. Let's take a look at Genesis 26, 9 through 11. Let's read about it. nine. The sons of Eliab were Nemuel, Dathan, Abiram. These are the Dathan and Abiram, representatives of the congregation, who contended against Moses. Yes, in case there was any doubt. And Aaron, in the company of Korah, when they continued against the Lord, and the earth opened its mouth, swallowed them up together with Korah, when the company died, when the fire devoured 250 men, and they became a sign. Look at verse 11. Nevertheless, the children of Korah did not Okay? So the Bible calls them the God judged those who turned against him in active rebellion and purified his people, but he still had a purpose to stand. Feel like it's something you did too terrible to you let you feel like well it was a long time ago I was in the ministry and I did something that I'm too embarrassed about now and I could never minister again do you feel like there's some that can't be forgiven or there's something you can't outlive you have something in your family past you think is holding you down you feel like oh my goodness my mom and dad weren't good people oh my goodness my family doesn't come from good stock let me tell you Many, many of God's ministers came from families that weren't on the other end. Many of them came from families that were poor, broken, destitute, sinful. And as God spoke to that young man, he became a minister, leaving behind their past. Leaving behind their past, proving that God has a purpose and a plan. I don't know who Samuel was talking to. Samuel, one of my favorite guys, he's the final judge. He's the anointer of King Saul. He's also the anointer of King David later on. Samuel, one of my favorite guys. Shemiel is his name in Hebrew. Doesn't that sound wonderful? 
such an amazing God. Let's find out a little about family. Samuel did not let his family history define him. Samuel let God become his new family. And in the end, Samuel's sons became rebellious as well. Now, I just get every minute. You think, oh, my children embarrass me. Then you're a good mom and dad. Somebody say amen. <laughs> because children are going to get to us on occasion. They're going to do things that we regret. First Samuel 8, 3. Here's verse 3 of 1 Samuel chapter 8. But his sons did not walk in his way. They turned aside at the dishonest game to bribe and perverted Of which is recorded in 1 Chronicles 6, verses 31 to 38. I didn't have time to write that down for you. 1 Samuel 1, verse 1, verse 20. The Korahites became the doorkeepers and custodians for the tabernacle. 1 Chronicles 9, 19 to 21. 1 Chronicles chapter 2. One group of the Korahites in 1 Chronicles 12, verse 6 joined King David in various military exploits and won the reputation of being expert leaders. Today they were changed. Paul said, this one thing I do, I forget what's behind me. Your past doesn't define you. Your past doesn't make you what you're going to be in the future. It is something that shapes you into what you are. In fact, you need to learn this lesson. Don't let your past become stumbling blocks. Let your past become stepping stones to where God wants you to be. You ever heard the story about the frog? two frogs. They find themselves jumping in the kitchen, and both of them jump away as they hear the door open, and in comes the lady in the house, and they jump away, both of them land into a bowl of heavy dripping cream. And both of them are hiding. The lady walks away, and they realize, we can't get out of this bowl. And the first frog turns to his friend, and he says, I'm just going to lay here and drown, but what a way to die in all this heavy cream. I'm going to die happy. And the other one says, I'm not going to die. He's going to beat me really quickly. His little feet until the heavy wicked cream becomes butter and he jumps out of the bowl. Don't you let your past become stumbling blocks. You let your past become a stepping stone. Do what the Apostle Paul tells us in the book of Philippians. He says, Forget your past, move on. God has got something greater for you. Look at the sons of Korah type here. They forgot their past. The path of a rebellious father. The path that says, oh my goodness, you're a bunch of, of rebels, a bunch of revolters. No, they end up becoming part of King David's military. They end up becoming part of the tabernacle doorkeepers. And later on, they do something even more. However, the most remarkable thing to note about the sons of Korah is that during the time of King David, they became the great leaders in the horrible and orchestral music in the country. Came in the Korah had a place of great importance as a singer, along with Asaph, a Gershonite, and you saw that name as well, and Ethan, a Jeduthun, a Merorite. These people became singers in God's temple, praising God. Let's take a look at some of the songs These individuals played an important role in the Thanksgiving service and pageantry when the Ark of the Covenant was brought to Jerusalem. David formed an elaborate organization for songs, instrumental music, and prophesying through these years. I bet you can sing one of them right now by heart. Sung by a son of Paul. Written by one who had the genealogy of a 
all the Psalms in the Bible, 11 are attributed to the sons of Korah. These beautiful Psalms express a spirit of great gratitude and humility to an awesome, mighty God. They express a longing for God and a deep devotion. These poetic songs include Psalm 42, Psalm 44 through 49, Psalm 84 and 85, and 87 and 88. Let's take a look at one. Psalm 42, verse 1. contains a beautiful line. As the deer panted for the water. Have you ever sang it? It was written by a son of Korah. A son who had a past that says you can be nothing good without a past that says there's nothing but rebellion, nothing but discord, nothing but somebody who says I'll never, ever, ever, ever bow to the will of God. You know what? Here he is, singing, as the deer panted forth the water, and I told my doctor you. You know, I think it's funny for us to use as pastors the more holy we get, the more these and now we put in our prayer and our song. <laughs> you can't make God answer more than that. Lord, we touch what you need. Oh, God answers to Lord, we touch what you need. Something for you to remember as well. God spoke Hebrew to Abraham. Abraham spoke Hebrew. God speaks English to you because you God will speak a sin old to you because you speak. God may speak to Joshua, which means that I speak. Think about it. God comes down to us in our way. He comes to where we are. He comes to where we are hurting. Really, honestly, He comes to where our hearts start crying out. Where our hearts start crying out. The Apostle Paul, in that prison, Every reason to say, God, why have you left me? God, why are you forsaken me? God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you letting the world triumph over me? And instead, he was. That's what he said. I did. And he's writing it to a church full of love. Are you, are you hearing this? He's writing it to a church that's full of joy. In fact, he tells that church, remember Philippians 4, 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. He tells them a church is full of love, joy, a church that loves to give. One thing I do. One thing that it's a battle for me Moving on. Turn your Bibles back to Hebrews chapter 10. Read with me again what the Apostle Paul said. One thing I do, this is in verse 13. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. What did he say there? Brethren, don't think that I've made it to that reason. I can think I'm the greatest Christian in the world. Joining us online, do you need to know 
do you need to put Him in your heart? To know Him is life. Without Him, there's no life. Paul says, I count not myself to apprehend. This is the thing I haven't grabbed a hold of yet. Me back to church many, many years ago, you become a big old cow lip, Texas. Is that what I do tonight? Are you one of those?
that's your life, I want to encourage you. Come, grab somebody, call the office, set up a time, put Jesus in your heart. Whatever the case may be, we're going to have a word of prayer. We're going to have a short invitation. Just start to feel and ask you to come. Humble yourself. Let's pray together. Father, I come to you now in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you for your word. Your word is quick and it's powerful. And it is effective when you need to be able to And I pray, Lord God, you just got touch Take charge if there's anyone who needs to come to know you. Anyone who needs to get their heart right with you. Or anyone, Father God, who needs to get their Christian walk with you. Why? Would you give them the strength, Lord God, to come to you? To forget what's behind you. And to press on to what's coming up. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Would you come with me, please? Come on, Jesus, here we go. He is the Savior. thing I do, would you come? Have left the crimson stain. Oh, amen. God bless you all. Hope you enjoyed your time of Bible study and worship here with Love Family. Don't forget, we'll be gathering together um, Sunday, and uh, I want to invite you to come be a part of that service, that special service. They have already begun writing and breaking revival in my heart. So please, be in prayer about that. Please invite the lost and bring them in and be a part of that. Uh, don't forget tomorrow night, Men's Bible study at 6 30. Don't forget Men's Prayer Breakfast is Saturday at 7 a.m. and at the team meeting at 10 30. Don't forget Sunday evening, though, business meeting. So I know you got that smile smile off your face. We're forgetting the past, Josh, and we're moving on to the future. <laughs> All right. Let's close with that word of prayer, and I'll see you guys on Sunday morning. Brother Dan, would you close us in prayer, Pastor? Amen. God bless you all. Shalom, y'all.